Hello and welcome to What the Buck. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse and a certified labor doula. This podcast is created to inform and empower every woman on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me here every Monday at 9 a.m. as we dive into all things prenatal, birth, postpartum, and so much more. So let's jump into today's Before we jump into this amazing podcast episode, I wanted to give myself a little shout out. I have started making breast milk jewelry and I'm so excited because breast milk jewelry was something I always wanted to remember my breastfeeding journey by because it was a hard time. It was equally as hard and sacrificial as it also was just joyful and beautiful. And the idea of having a piece of jewelry to just remember the season by for a lifetime felt really special to me. So I've started making breast milk jewelry. I'm just so excited to just be able to do this for you guys and offer it to you. You send your milk directly to me, to my house. I preserve it. I handcraft every single piece myself into jewelry. Um, Right now I'm just doing rings, but I'm planning on doing a couple more things too as we go. And um, as I, you know, just master everything and get my systems down. But I'm excited. It's so fun. It's so beautiful. You can go onto my website. It's www.thehoneyandgold.com. Also, our Instagram page is just thehoneyandgold. And you can look at everything. You can see what we're offering right now. Browse around. Please do not hesitate to ever email me um, or DM me over Instagram or anything like that. If you have any questions, you can reach me through either one of my Instagram pages, What the Bump CLT or The Honey and Gold. But I hope you guys just love it. It's so fun. It means the world to me to have your support. And it would mean the world to me if this is something you're interested in. If you've ever thought about ordering a piece of breast milk jewelry, to order it through me and let me make this wonderful, beautiful piece for you. I promise you're going to love it. So... All that being said, please check out my website, thehoneyandgold.com, and let's jump into this podcast episode. Welcome to another episode of What the Bump. I'm so excited for today's podcast. We have Nicole to share her birth story. Fun fact, Nicole actually was the first doula client to ever hire me, which I definitely did not tell you at the time, (laughs) but now I have zero shame in admitting. So it was like the biggest deal to me. I got my first client and I was like, oh my gosh, I can actually do this. So thank you for being here and thank you for sharing your birth story with us. Thank you for having me. And the second we met you, my husband and I met you, we we knew that you were exactly what we needed. And I tell people all the time that they need to get a doula because the experience that we had together was seriously, like, I don't know how we would have done it without you. So thank you. And thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) I remember Jason asked me, he was like, so why would I hire you? I will never forget this question. He said, why would I hire you over like, you know, more of what you picture as a doula, you know, wearing the Birkenstocks, traditional kind of older, like grandmother type of doula. He asked me that and I was like, I mean, like, whatever's your preference. Hey, like yeah, <laughs> I, always, no. I specifically remember that question though, all the time I think about it. Yeah, no, because that was important to him to have someone that like, he's all, he's a physician. So it was important for him to have someone that had some like medical background, medical knowledge. And I think that's what makes you stand apart. So like, that was, that was a definite like top of his list. So I think he just wanted to see what you were going to say, but (laughs) that was such a fun, we had, it was so chill. We had like coffee at like lunch shots and Belmont. It was, it was a fun time. So it it was, it was very, we knew immediately. You're you're amazing. Oh, you guys are so sweet. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and your family and what, you know, what you guys do and who you are. Yeah. So I have my own business. I resell clothing and accessories online. Um, and my husband is a surgeon. 
So we have very different career paths. Um, I work from home. He obviously works in an OR. So he is, he's um, pretty much gone most of the day and I'm a stay-at-home mom and I also work from home. So we're both very busy and um, we actually moved here last summer. Uh, so we're still new to the area. So um, we're loving North Carolina. It's a great state and um, people here are wonderful. So um, we have a son named Bo. He is turning seven months on Saturday. Crazy. And yeah, I know. And uh, Bo is the baby that you helped us birth. So um, he's been wonderful. And it's, wow, it's been a roller coaster. Um, not, not to say that it hasn't been uh, hard. It's been extremely hard for me and, uh, you know, about that, but hopefully we'll get to talk more about it. But, um, but overall, just su such a wonderful experience, um, these past seven months. So yeah, yeah, I look forward to talking more about it. Anytime somebody says like, Oh, I'm a stay at home mom. I'm like, no girl, you are working overtime. <laughs> if anything, like I know Jason's gone and he works so hard and he's a surgeon obviously, which is a very demanding career. Um, but don't sell yourself short because you work just as hard as him. It's just very, very different. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, okay. but yes, shout out to all the stay at home moms and the work working moms and the working yes. from home moms. Like we're all just, we're all trying just to, we're just trying to stay afloat. We're killing it. We're doing yeah. good. <laughs> kill, some days we kill it. Some days we're surviving it. Exactly. You know, it fluctuates. That's for sure. But yeah. it's actually I still funny. I feel like I'm in. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, you're good. Um, I was just gonna say, it's actually funny. So as Nicole says, you know, her husband's a surgeon. Um, you're going to see a common theme throughout her birth story that Nicole does not like the medical field. Um, she doesn't like needles. She doesn't like anything to do with, um, medicine, uh, draw anything at all. So Interven it's very interventions. Funny. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, I think, you know, you probably see a hospital and get like goosebumps looking at it. <laughs> so absolutely. Very, absolutely. very funny theme. So, okay. Starting off, tell us about getting pregnant with Bo. Were you guys trying, um, how kind of was that journey? Yeah. So, um, we've been together for a long time. We've been together for about 18 years now going on 19. So we met in high school. I know. So we, you know, our whole lives, everyone's always been like, when are you getting married? When are you having a baby? So we actually knew that we wanted to wait a while until after his training. So, um, in the middle of fellowship, which is the last year of his training, um, we said, let's start, let's start trying, started trying. And, um, probably for about nine months we tried and wasn't really happening. And my cycles weren't really regular. Um, and I was also experiencing some other symptoms. So I did like a hormonal panel with my OB come to find out that, um, I actually had a pituitary tumor, um, in my brain and a, um, a diagnosis of Hashimoto's of course, which a lot of women have. And, um, that thyroid, uh, disease just needs to be handled before you get pregnant. Mm -hmm. Um, so anyway, um, I had to get all those things treated, um, medically with, um, medicine, sorry. And, um, after I got treated, um, my period came back normal cycle and we got pregnant right away, um, wow. which was awesome. Yeah. So it took about a year. Um, but then sadly we did lose that, that first baby, um, around eight weeks, the OB was not able to find the fetal pole. So, uh, that was sad. And obviously that was something that we went through. Um, but then the next cycle I got pregnant with Bo. So, um, everyone has their journey and like that definitely was, um, a very hard year for us. And, uh, yeah. And that kind of started our journey with Bo. So, yeah, I don't know if I knew all that, like, you know, all yeah. that kind of stuff pre Bo, like the, the nine months of trying, it's definitely very hard and taxing. I know, you know, 
every month you take a test and you're like, what the heck? It's not positive again. And it can just be so, um, yeah, just, just hard. It can feel like the longest season too. So like you said, everybody has different, you know, journeys to it. Um, but, and for someone with, like you mentioned with someone with anxiety that, which I've struggled with in the past, someone with uh, medical anxiety in general, any kind of needles, interventions, doctor's appointments. I mean, that was probably the toughest year of my life in terms of that, mm-hmm. because I had to get blood testing all the time. I had to get MRI scans with contrast. I, you know, it was just like a wild ride of, and it all, it prepared me, I think for my pregnancy. Cause if I hadn't done that, I don't know. I don't know how I would have been during my pregnancy. So it was probably a good thing. Like if I'm looking on the positive side of it, but right. it was definitely hard. So. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. It kind of gives you, gave you like a a look into what that's going to be like. Cause obviously pregnancy, you're at the doctor all the time. You have, you know, routine labs. Um, people are always touching you, maybe not even doing interventions, but you know, like touching your belly, measuring your belly, even that kind of stuff with, when somebody with medical anxiety, like can make you nervous and OB simply just measuring your belly or putting their hands on you to feel baby's position that can definitely bring anxiety. So Definitely. definitely a little bit of a blessing there to kind of prepare you, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. For sure. Okay. So you get pregnant with Bo. How was pregnancy? How was that first trimester and kind of throughout pregnancy? Was there big hiccups or did you have a pretty easy pregnancy? Yeah. Pregnancy was good for me. I was probably the happiest and the most calm I've ever been during my pregnancy. Like I was like, I joked with my friends, like it was like taking Xanax for like every day for nine months. That's (laughs) amazing. It was wonderful. I had a really, really just mentally, psychologically, spiritually a great experience. Now the first three or four months, of course, like there was some, you know, sickness and everything, but you know, I expected that and that was normal. And thankfully I didn't have, um, extreme sickness for a year, like a lot of women do. And I, I give it up to those women. It's that's so hard. And um, amongst everything else, that's incredibly hard. And I know a lot of people that have, so, um, towards the end, um, the anxiety and the fears kind of started to creep in as we got closer. And, yeah. um, you know, we'll talk about this later. Cause this is some advice I have, uh, for new moms, but, um, my OB and some of my other providers, um, were starting to like want to do things and want to do interventions that I was feeling like weren't really necessary. So I would always say no. And like, it would always be like, well, if you're not going to do that, let's do this then. And I'm, I'm just, I don't know. It just started to kind of like cascade into like, I don't know, just, I, I was starting to feel like they were like, for example, they were telling me that I had a big baby, you know, and, and that word kept get, kept getting thrown around and it was just causing me stress. So, um, yeah, so like towards the end, um, with kind of these routine tests that, um, you know, the doctors thought were necessary. It was just kind of making me feel like my birth plan was kind of going out the window and we can talk more about that, but yeah. yeah. So what, what were some of those things that came up? I mean, you mentioned the big baby, what were some other things that, you know, you would go in for routine appointments. They'd be like, Hey, kind of red flags, quote unquote, red flags that they thought that they were seeing or needed to change your birth. Yeah. Because of. So, um, every, I had a healthy pregnancy. I didn't have, um, gestational diabetes. I didn't have anything like that, but I, I have been a little overweight. So of course that was always a concern for them. But, um, in terms of my labs, I was completely healthy and, um, I, my blood pressure was great too, but for some reason, like in month eight or month nine, I don't know if it was because I was getting more nervous, but like my blood pressure was a little bit higher. Like it wasn't that high. Like what, what's the high 
limit? I forget. You told me this. Uh, I mean, they normally like it under, as far as treatment, like protocol treatment in the hospital, it's 160 over 110. They would want it less okay. than, um, but I think they would diagnose preeclampsia, honestly, maybe even at a lower number than that. Um, yeah. but that's like the hospital treatable range. Yeah. So I think that it was like getting close to 140. I think that's where I was. So anyway, that was, um, that was like concerning to them, but I was feeling fine and I was checking it myself and it was, it was okay. But anyway, it was just making me, their fear was making me nervous. Of course. Um, I also wanted, didn't want to get my cervix checked. And of course they asked me that. And I said, no. And the provider that I saw, which was not my normal provider, um, said, because I didn't want to get my cervix checked, I had to get a ultrasound. And at the time I was just like, okay, like I really honestly didn't know. Makes no why. sense though. What does a cervical check and an ultrasound have to do with each other at all? It doesn't. I don't know. How many weeks were you she, at that point? I was 32. Okay. Yeah. And it's not like you were like having preterm labors, like no. symptoms, checking a no. cervix at 32 weeks is just absurd. You are so premature at that point. If there's no rhyme or reason do not let anybody put their fingers in your vagina. Yes, exactly. And I, that's how I felt. And I'm glad I said no. I felt good that I said no. But then it was like, oh, well, we have to do this. So apparently she told me it was to see my, to visualize my cervix since they couldn't feel it. And I was like, okay. So I did it. And that of course resulted in Bo seeming like he was going to be a quote unquote big baby, you know? So that started the whole big baby conversation. Then we got into shoulder dystocia and just highly inaccurate. Those ultrasounds are highly inaccurate. (laughs) Exactly. And I learned that I I did some research. I like looked up evidence-based birth and like, you know, I tried to like, now I did, I did this research on my own. The the OB did not tell me this research. Yeah. So Anyway, those were just some examples of many that like were cascading my anxiety towards delivery. And that's not how I wanted it. We were trying to keep it peaceful and calm. And the other thing that like is so hard with how birthing in the hospital system works and I get it, like it kind of has to be this way, but you go to a practice that has seven providers, let's say. So Obviously the day you deliver, it's kind of luck of the draw, whatever provider is on. And same thing with these appointments. Sometimes you have appointments that are with different providers and your primary provider would have known probably not to say these certain things to you, knowing who you are, knowing how you handle, you know, things in the medical field to say, oh, well, your baby's measuring big. So it's probably going to have a shoulder dystocia. Your normal provider knows that saying that to you would probably send you over the ledge and that would stick with you. Um, I actually literally listened to a podcast this morning that was talking about how the words, especially around pregnancy, really stick with you. Your provider says something and they'll never remember that they said it, but to the to the pregnant woman, like big baby shoulder dystocia, that will literally be ingrained in your mind. And once that little seed of fear is planted, it was all about like fear in the medical system. Um, once that little bit of fear is planted, it is almost impossible to uproot. It's so easy to plant though. So that's the other thing is, you know, you see these different people and they don't know who you are. They don't know how you handle these things. And they just say things, but don't understand that that is going to deeply affect the next, you know, two months of your pregnancy and even your birth. Absolutely. And that's a good point about it affecting your possible your birth because in their minds too, in the back of their head, they're saying, Oh, this this woman is more likely probably to have a C section. Cause that I had that conversation too. I had, well, do you want to just like schedule an induction and like blah 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 so we don't have to do a C section? And I'm like, No. And first of all, this is my first child. Like, I don't know if I mean she 
like she told me I, I, I we don't know if I have a proven pelvis <laughs> you know <laughs> like all these things and I'm like Gosh, well I'm gonna that. prove I don't know I'm gonna prove that I can do this so I was still very thanks to you of course and like our birth plan I was very dedicated to having the birth that I wanted to have and I was I actively had to like try so hard to push those thoughts away mm-hmm. so you're right I think that words matter Yeah. We did so much work those last few weeks, just trying to keep you in a good place. Um, I just remember like talking on the phone with you all the time after almost every appointment and just like trying to almost talk you down off a ledge, honestly, and, and just speak affirmations over you and be like, listen, like you've got this, everything's going to be okay. Because, um, it is really hard. You know, those words really do stick with you and you did an amazing job even with the medical anxiety you have, you know, you would think that that would almost cause you to like crumble and give in to these things that were said to you and spoken over you. And you did a really good job of sticking to your point. I mean, I remember there were times where they'd want you to come in for appointments and do all this extra, you know, stuff. And you were just like, no, I'll take my blood pressure at home and I'll text it to you. And I'm so proud of you for doing that. You did that so many times. I'd be like, we need you to come in and get checked and blah, blah, blah. And this and this, another ultrasound and measure your blood pressure and do labs. And you were like, no, I'll take my blood pressure at home. I'll take my weight at home. I'll text you all my stats and I'll see you my next appointment. Like come find me basically. (laughs) Right. And obviously if I was having, and your husband's a doctor. Yes. That's another thing. Right. So, and he was taking, you know, he was watching over me and if I had like a complicated pregnancy, I I would have been at the doctor's appointment, you know, but I was completely healthy. I was feeling fine. Nothing was wrong. So, you know, if nothing's wrong, if it's, it's not broke, don't fix it. You know what I mean? So Yes. Pregnancy is not like a disease that needs to be cured. It is a normal, beautiful thing. Yes. I love that. I love that quote. Okay. So let's talk about your birth preferences. What were you planning for your birth and envisioning for your birth? And how did you prepare for that? Yeah. So when we first met you, I think I told you that I wanted like an elective C-section or something crazy because, you know, I was scared. I was terrified. And I thought like, well, this is the only way that I'm going to be able to get through this birth without like, and I also wanted like to be controlled. Like you wanted control. Oh yes. You said, I want a general anesthesia C-section. I said, sister, that ain't happening. (laughs) No, 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 no. And I'm so glad I didn't do that. And uh, that would have been terrible. But so I went from that to with, you know, your help and with also my own research and kind of soul searching to going towards a non-medicated hospital birth that was, you know, I would be willing to flex if needed. You know, I know everything else that could, could and would happen, but the, the ultimate goal was to try as hard as I can to do it on unmedicated. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, that was how it started. <laughs> okay. So, and, and as far as preparation, obviously I was there with you. We did, yes. you know, prenatals, childbirth education, tons of prep on that. And did you do anything else? Um, you know, any like books, podcasts, anything like that? Yes. Um, I did all of the classes and I mean, all of them that the hospital, um, provides and they were not great. Um, but they were okay. Uh, they so pushed I will, their I will, agenda. Yeah, they do. And I'll, I'll be very honest, like, especially because they were not in person, they were over zoom. So a lot of it was hard, like to learn about breathing during labor. Like it's just hard to do over zoom in one session. So, um, I would encourage people to do like a hypnobirthing class or or Lamaze or something if they really want to learn that because the hospital ones aren't going to teach you that. Um, And then, yeah, the prenatals with you were great. I mean, they were actually in person and we were like moving my body and learning stuff like that. So, so, I mean, you were, you were essential. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) All right. And 
<laughs> let's dive into this. How did you go into labor? Yeah. So I had a premature rupture of membranes yes. from um, two days before my due date. So on February 2nd, I was due on February 4th. Um, my belly had been like rock hard for a couple of days. I was having period cramps. So of course we were all just monitoring. Um, my husband was making me this grilled cheese that he makes from, all, from uh, Trader Joe's. And it was like, it's like my favorite meal. I don't know if like that got me all excited or what, but <laughs> I got up from my couch. I got up from my couch around seven and um, the water just started trickling down my legs. So that's kind of what started it all. So around 7 p.m., two days before my due date. Okay. And yeah. you called me and what did I tell you? You said, stay there, stay home, <laughs> <laughs> stay calm, eat, rest, rest sleep, rest. Yep. <laughs> yep. So, and, and parameters to that, and this podcast will never give medical advice. I said, is it clear? You said, yes. I said, is he moving normal? You said, yes. I said, okay, monitors movement, monitor your temperature. Don't put anything in your vagina, eat something, sleep. It was the evening, right? It was dinner time. Yes. Yep. So I said, sleep and, call, sleep and call me in the morning. Let's see if yep. some things pick up. I think you might've pumped and done a couple of different things too, you know, throughout the yes. night. That's the cool thing. Like I was able to pump colostrum like from I think 36 weeks. Um, so I was pumping and that was helping, hopefully, but it really wasn't helping because uh if you if we'll talk about this later, but I wasn't having contractions. I did have premature rupture of membranes, but I was not having contractions yet. And if I was having them, they weren't, it wasn't like labor contractions, it was just cramps. So um, yeah, so. I did. I stayed home and I, I wanted to do that. That was my initial part of my birth plan was like that. Even if I went into labor and started having contractions, I was going to try and stay home for that early labor stage and try and only go into the hospital for like, you know, the late, the later stages, right. like seven, hopefully shoot for that seven to eight centimeters. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so I tried, I tried to stay home. And of course, you're on a little bit of a ticking time clock when your uh, membranes rupture. So by the morning, um, we had kept in touch all through the night, of course. Um, Jen, poor thing, you were up probably oh, every hour. No. <laughs> but um, yeah, so in the morning we did call the hospital and of course they were like, yes, come in, you know? And I, we, we all knew that they would say that. So uh, we all took a trip to the hospital at that point. Yes, we did. And- <laughs> Tell us, you know, take it away. Tell us what happened when we got there, kind of how things yeah. progressed, how we went about. Obviously, you were essentially heading in for an induction. Um, your water had been broken for, I mean, only 12 hours at that point, which gave us a lot of negotiation power once we got there. Um, I think yeah. that you guys just felt safer being there. It didn't mean, and I reassured you, this does not mean we're going in and we're starting Pitocin right away this morning. Um, there really was no rush. Everything was normal. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you for saying that. Cause that, that's true. That was the, that was the biggest thing is like, I think that when you have control of, you know, your birth and you know what you want to do, you, you have to, you have to tell your providers that you have to advocate for yourself and say, like, even though you want to go into the hospital and you want to feel safe there, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to, you know, start the Pitocin it doesn't necessarily mean you have to like do all those things. You can still, like just hang out. And that's what we did. <laughs> so we got there and we pretty much walked 10,000 steps around the labor yes. ward and we bounced on the ball and we pumped and we were trying so hard to get those contractions started. And unfortunately they did not. So, um, eventually, and we were working with, I have to say some awesome providers there and they were very kind to me and they were very, 
um, willing to let me just kind of do what I, my body needed to do. Um, but there was a point I think where we all agreed that for the safety of the baby, it was probably best to, to start that. Now having Pitocin was like one of the things I really didn't want because <laughs> I knew that it would be harder on me, like having those, um, uh, um, not like unnatural contractions, right. like you know, stronger. Yeah. Yeah. Like I wanted to experience the natural contractions and the pain that came from that, not the unnatural ones right. and like that, that harder pain. So, um, so I knew that that would be tough and it was, it was extremely tough. And I don't know, I can't like, obviously I, I don't know if it would have gone different if it was natural. I could have also still ended up the way I did if I had gone natural, but the pain was really, really tough. And throughout the night, um, I had some of like the worst pain in my life. And I got to a point where I did need to have an epidural and that was my decision. And I think I screamed like, help me at some point. <laughs> I felt like I was being tortured basically. So, um, and that was probably, I would say about just over 24 hours since your water broke. So your water broke at like, let's just roughly say, and I don't know if you have these exact times, like 6 PM. And then we came, yeah. we went to the hospital a little over 12 hours later, early the next morning, 7, 8 AM. And then we didn't start Pitocin. I don't think until like 7 PM that night. I mean, we were in the hospital for a good, like 12 hours with no intervention at all. Um, until yeah. you agreed for the, to the Pitocin. Yeah. So I think I was what, like two and a half, three centimeters yeah. before the Pitocin. Yeah. yeah. So I had, I had, had made some progress. Um, the walking and everything had done a little bit, but it just wasn't enough. So to push me over and man, did that Pitocin push me over? I mean, that, that sent it right into full, full gear. <laughs> so, yes. um, yeah. And of course, Jen and my husband, Jason were like my lifesavers. They were there with me the entire time, giving me counter pressure through each contraction. And it was extremely physically demanding for them. And I thank them so much for doing that. But um, yes, we, we were uh, hardest counter pressure I've ever given in my life to this day. Yeah, We had you and like it's everywhere, but backwards on the toilet. And I specifically remember you would say harder. And I'm like, I literally am going to break your spine. I'm like, good thing your yeah. husband's a surgeon because I'm breaking her back. Like I remember at one point Jason had, so I was kind of bent, people can't see me, but I had my like <laughs> palms in my hand, Nicole's backwards on the toilet. I have the palms of my hands on her, you know, uh, where you give counter pressure on her lower back. And yeah. then I have my feet out behind me to give me more leverage. And then Jason is behind me with his feet against my feet giving me more <laughs> leverage. If that, if anybody can imagine this, I hope that that makes sense. It was like a yes, train of like more, like, so then Jason's like basically giving me the counter pressure to be able to, I hope that makes sense to anybody. It does. It does. And I think that like, I don't know, you guys were such a great team. Like, I think if it hadn't been you two for me, it, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but you guys seriously killed it. So, but yes. Um, it didn't, it, it honestly didn't feel like enough. It, it never felt like enough pressure. Like I knew at that point I was, I was just, and I was also fatiguing. That was another thing yes. you told me like at the it end of been this, two, you know, yes. a long time. And also yeah. side note, you, I think by the time you got the epidural, we obviously in hindsight knew that you were in transition. Um, yeah. most likely, I mean, you, you know, I don't want to jump ahead too much, but you got the yeah. epidural and then we were basically kind of at the end there. So I Absolutely. definitely think that that was also what you were feeling this huge intensity, this sudden, like picking up that was just unbearable. And 
I'm huge. And I tell all my clients who want unmedicated births, like I make them have a code word. And I'm really big on talking about the difference between like coping well with unmedicated birth and unmedicating birth being like torture, because you should never feel like while you're giving birth, I'm being tortured. And a huge trigger that I hear people say is help me, help me. Um, you know, and I'll ask them like, and if they use their code word, I'll say, do you feel like you're being tortured? And they're like, yeah, like, you know, you never want to cross that line of, of torture because then birth's not enjoyable. Birth really becomes traumatic, just as traumatic as, as it would be if, you know, any other things were happening to you that were out of your control, even medical intervention wise. Um, and I, yes. and I feel like you kind of got to that point. I did. Absolutely. And I think that's so true. And it's not, it's, it's everyone, you try your best. And if you need to get that help, then that's fine. And however, however much you did before that, it should be applauded. And I'm proud of myself. I'm proud of myself to getting to where I needed to be. And, and that's another thing I couldn't even imagine getting an epidural. Like I was so scared to get that epidural. And I knew that if I asked for it, it would be because I was literally like dying, you know? So, and it, I didn't even feel it. It was the most, it was the easiest procedure I've ever had. You know, the, the anesthesiologist was great. Now, of course it took a while because he, there was something with, I don't know, weird, like he must've um, put it in the wrong place. So he had to place it a couple different times. But um, during that, I just remember having this really bizarre and weird, like breathing that I was doing to like, help me stay still. Cause you have to stay still. And I forgot about I this dude. <laughs> yeah, it was really weird, but it was very like, I don't know. I just had to do something. And you I have remember to describe Jenny's, it like, so people understand what you're talking about. It was, like, <laughs> it was just like this rhythmic, like, Ooh, I don't know. I can't even. Have she was like, like you were like shaking her head, right? Yes, I was. It was I, really I interesting. I was like, it almost, um, yeah, it was really weird. I know I had to do it though. Cause it was hurting. I was having so much pain that like, and you can't move, I, you can't move. So right. anyway, yeah. When the epidural is like, in place. Right. So you were rubbing my feet, which was great. And <laughs> it was just, it was actually fine. It ended up being fine. And as soon as I got the epidural, I, I went to sleep. Is that right? Yeah. I, I think I went to I sleep mean, yeah. for like 30 minutes, 30 minutes. And then you left Yep. Um, because you needed to get some sleep. Yeah, and I think we were, I had been there with you for tw- almost 24 hours at that point. We were creeping up yeah. on it. So I was like, I'm going to go try to rest for like a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you knew that more was coming and yes. it was <laughs> so what, like 30 minutes. And then, um, I think my nurse came in cause they were having a hard time, like seeing the baby on the monitor yeah. or whatever. Uh, yeah. Um, I don't know if that's the technical term, but, <laughs> um, so, and that we were having issues with that too. Like I was using the Monica, the um, wireless Bluetooth uh, yeah. device, Bluetooth device. And that is sketchy, kind of like mm-hmm. goes in and out. Um, so we thought it might've been that, but then she was like, no, no, let me check you. And she checked me and I was complete. So Jen to Jason, Jason has the text. He like snapped he like uh, took a picture of it. I think it sent it to you, but it was like, Jen, like you need to come back right now. <laughs> like she's she's ready so she's like okay I'm on my way so you race back and um but then I ended up pushing for what three hours it was a good amount of time and that's okay I think you know you got to complete so quickly after that epidural was placed I think you were already in transition and that epidural just letting your body finally rest just enabled you to just totally dilate. But also when they start that epidural, they give you, you know, a big bolus of medication to start you off. And I think that that was just still lingering for you when we started pushing. Okay. Um, yeah. 
So we did push for a little bit. I do remember you also looking at me after you got your epidural and you're like, oh my gosh, this was the best thing I've ever done. I'm taking this thing home with me. Somebody who I thought would never say that, who was the biggest anti-epidural, um, you know, loved, loved your epidural. And, and I, all that to say, you know, an epidural, I like to describe it as just another tool that is available. If you need it, if you want it, it does not mean you Mm -hmm. failed your birth. Um, and you know, you were somebody who was so against it and you loved your epidural. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I did. And I will probably get one again if, if needed, but I will still try to do it non-medicated if I do it again. So, um, but yeah, so I think I pushed for like three hours. Um, we pushed in all different types of positions. That was the coolest thing. He had such a great block that like, I don't know, I was still able to like move around. It was awesome. Yeah. Um, I tried on my hands and knees. I tried laying down and, and, and Jen, even Jen told me this. I remember her saying like laying down is not necessarily bad. Like it might end up being the position that works best for you. And I think that ended up being what worked best for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, but it was nice to get to try all the different types of positions. Like, cause that was another thing. I didn't want to have to always like labor on my back. I wanted to try to like let gravity take its course, you know, yeah. but, um, so yeah, I, I pushed little Bo out. I got to see it. I used the mirror to like watch him come out. And that was so awesome. I highly recommend that for everyone because it's just so cool to see the head and the progress you're making and it helps you, I think. So, yep. and we delivered mm-hmm. right after shift change. So we got one of the best midwives came on, yes. which is literally such a blessing. Absolutely. She was my angel and she, she delivered little Bobo for me and it was great. Uh, it was exactly what I, what I wanted. So someone, some angels and God was looking out for me in that moment. Yes. (laughs) She came in and we were like, (gasps) I know I didn't even know who she was at first. Yeah. You were like, (laughs) it was great. It was right. You're right. It was right at shift change. And I think I went through what four providers in that time, (laughs) something like that. Insane. Insane. Um, which isn't easy. That's hard because you yes. have to get to know someone every single time. So yes. Whatever. So I ended up having a third degree tear. Um, it was an internal tear, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't my perineum. Um, right. Yeah. I think I don't I know. honestly do not but remember. Yeah. I think it was internal. Um, and it, that was probably the worst part of the whole experience for me. I think it was too. Yeah. You had a lot of anxiety around the repair. Yeah, I did. And, um, the, the, obviously a midwife or maybe not obviously, but I didn't know this, but the midwife can't do it. Um, so the doctor has to do it. And the doctor came in and she was a doctor that I had met before and she was very nice and she helped me out. She was very calm and patient with me. And, um, we were able, I still had my epidural. So thank God I had that epidural because I think if I didn't have that, it would have been a hundred times worse. Mm-hmm. So, um, the repair went well and, um, Bo actually like his app bars were really low at first, but the midwife wasn't concerned. But then of course the NICU team was really concerned. So they kind of had to take him and kind of work on him a little bit, but he was, he was fine after like a minute or two. So, yeah. 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 He just needed, you know, help popping those lungs open really quick. I think they gave him a little bit of oxygen and then he was totally fine. Came right back on you and everything like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, yeah, exactly. He came right on me and yeah, it was great. We just, I don't know if I was holding, I didn't want to hold him during the repair. I remember that. Yeah. Because I, I didn't want to like, 
I didn't want him to like, that's my biggest thing now. I don't want him to have my anxieties. I don't want him oh. to feel my fears, you know? It was <laughs> also just so, a lot for you to like, yeah. I think you were scared of like freaking out and like dropping him or, you know, whatever it was. So I think we put him skin to skin with Jason while you, yeah. while they finished up your repair. And then once that was all good, we got you sitting up in bed. We put him skin to skin with you. Yeah. And I think that remember the part that was the funniest where I was like, I just want to get out of this bed. I hate this bed. I looked at you and I was like, Nicole, you know, you, you said you were like, oh my gosh, this bed is so uncomfortable. I need to get up. You were like pissed all of a sudden about the bed. I was like, you just literally conquered every fear that you had for nine months straight and have a beautiful baby. And I was like, you shut up about that bed. I, I, like, know. <laughs> I know, but I know you so well that I knew I could be like, okay, I'm going to give you a little bit of a tough love and perspective right now. But also I think that entire like freak out about the bed being so uncomfortable was sleep exhaustion. You were exhausted. Exhaustion. You hadn't slept yes. in over like two days and had yes. just pushed for three hours. I was like, listen, we're going to nurse him put it, give him back to Jason and you are going to go to sleep. And then everything was better in the world. <laughs> everything was, I had the best sleep of my life after that. So yeah. So <laughs> amazing. yeah, it was, it was truly. And I looking back on it, it was truly a wonderful experience. I have no trauma, no qualms about it. I have no like fear about it going forward. Like I, I know that I could do it again. Um, so really it was, it was wonderful. I mean, despite everything, like you said, even conquering all those fears. And I think having conquered all those fears, I just feel like more, I just feel proud of myself and I feel like I've grown as a person. So yes, yeah. you, you yeah. should your birth story. I was so excited for you to come tell it because it's Thanks. honestly like a perfect example of, you know, we can never control birth. Like nobody could have told you that your water was going to break, that contractions weren't going to start. You were basically going to have to be induced and then get an epidural push for three hours and have a third degree tariff. I would have told you that you would have like beforehand, you would have freaked out and thought that that was the most traumatic disaster. But we were able to have a birth where you felt so empowered. We took things so nice and slow. You made every decision that came your way. Nobody told you what to do. Like nope. things were presented to you and were negotiated and you chose every single thing that happened to you. Even down to your tear, we waited so long to repair that until you felt ready and you felt calm enough and still went so slow with it. Like you had such amazing control. You conquered every single fear. Um, you should be so proud. I mean, it really was Thank such you. a beautiful birth. And um, I just, I, we can't ever control birth, but feeling empowered and in control, I think is, you know, the most important thing. Absolutely. I think that is so true for, I would say for many women, I think we just want to have control of our bodies. And yeah. And you should. Ours, so yeah, for sure. Yes. It for even sure. goes to like cervical exams, you know, sometimes it's just like, I'm going to check your cervix. It's like, why don't we ask, Hey, can I put my finger like, hello? Yes. No, <laughs> that's something that I've just realized. And I am so guilty. I used to be a nurse and I used to walk in room and say, Hey, your baby's doing something funny with heart rate or, Hey, you haven't been checked in five hours. I'm going to check. I'm going to check your cervix. Like I used to say that to people. And now that like mm -hmm. makes me just cringe. Cause I'm like, okay. I didn't even ask, Hey, like that is such a, a violating thing. Like you asked before you put some, your fingers in somebody's body. Um, yes. so even those Consent. little things, yeah. yeah. Yes. And you were um, huge on that. We put on your birth plan, like, please consent me before you do anything, even the littlest things. And the nurses were great because they knew that was so important to you. The littlest things they would say, Hey, even when it, when it came to going up in your Pitocin, that's something they normally don't even tell you or ask you about. They would be like, Hey, Nicole, like 
this is what your Pitocin is at. These are how far apart your contractions are. I think that we should maybe go up. And they were so great, even consenting you with any little tiny thing that they did to you. Yes. Yeah. And I think that that's the job of a, of a provider, it should be the any standard. Per, you know, absolutely. And I'm sure it is, but I get it. Like, you know, my husband's in healthcare, like it, it becomes just your job. It, you do it every yeah. day and it's just, it's just routine. And I, I totally get that. So that's why you and your doula, your birth partner, whoever's there with you have to be your own advocates. So that's mm-hmm. definitely one of my, like my, um, advice, pieces of advice for yeah. people, um, that are birthing. So yeah. 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 So first off, tell us a little bit about how yeah. you have feel felt postpartum. How has postpartum been um, immediately? And now, you know, would you say almost seven months out? Yes. Seven months out. That's Crazy, insane. Right? Okay. How is I it? Know. Um, so physical healing took probably more like eight to 10 weeks. I, the tear was a little bit, you know, more than the six weeks that you're right. told that you can kind of, so, um, that was fine. Um, but in terms of my, um, mental and psychological health, um, I definitely dealt with some postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety, and I'm still dealing with it. Um, not to say that it's gone, but, um, after my husband went back to work, like, of course, that first month when we were together, it was like blissful. And we were just like, oh, okay, like we have a brand new baby and this is how it's going to be forever. But no, that's not reality. You know, everyone has to go back to work and he went back to work and I was by myself. And that's so scary. Like a a month in still healing from birth and being away. I, we don't live near family. We don't have any help. So looking back now, I'm just like, I can't even believe that we didn't have something in place where like my mom came and stayed or whatever. Like I, but that was me. Like, that was totally me. Like she would have, you know, I wanted to like do it by myself. And again, I'm, I think I'm a little bit of a control freak (laughs) because I was like, I wanted to, I knew I could do it by myself. I'm an independent woman. I know I can handle this. It's my baby. Like, and that I think overwhelmed me. And I, yeah, I started to go down a really bad path. And there was a lot of people that helped me during that time you included. And, um, I set up some necessary things for myself to help myself heal. So, and I'm still, I'm still dealing with it. I still have bad days, but it's definitely gotten better. Yeah. Yeah. You were definitely like, I have to be able to handle this myself, everything on my own. And they say it takes a village because it really, really does take a village. Um, so what are some of the things that have helped you? I mean, now that I know you said, you know, you're still going through it. I think that whole first year is just so difficult. Um, but what are some of the things that you were able to line up to start doing some practices you put into place to help you kind of take some of that load off yourself? Yeah. So like you always say, you need to like fill your own cup before you can, you know, be like the best mom for your baby. And I think that was that kind of stuck in my brain. So we said, let's get someone to help me. Number one. So I had my mom come for a little while and then, um, Jen was kind enough to help me connect me with a postpartum doula who is also a night nurse who is incredible. Um, and she came and helped me um, for God bless her three months. <laughs> uh, she just left me in July, uh, June. And um, she was uh, just a person that could not only like be there for me and like give me that time, but she taught me a lot. She helped me like understand sleep and understand like my body postpartum and, and talk, we kind of talked about being mothers and stuff like that. So it was just so wonderful to have her. And that truly, truly, truly helped me. 
Um, I also got hooked up with a therapist, thanks to Jen. She's uh, a women's therapist uh, specifically. She's wonderful and I'm still talking with her today. And we are really working on some great stuff for me. And I think it's it was a long time coming. I probably should have done this before I got pregnant. So I think that that is essential. Um, I, I'm big on not medicating. So I didn't want to take, um, I didn't want to take like an antidepressant or anything, but that is not to say that I wouldn't or that anyone shouldn't. Um, it's a great thing to do. I think if that's what you need, because you don't have to stay on it that long, you could stay on it for like six months and go off of it. But for some reason, I just didn't want to, I just personally wasn't something I wanted to do. So, um, I've been able to use those resources to help me over the past seven months. So that's amazing. I'm so proud Thank of you. you. I love hearing you like talk about this because, you know, I remember I came over and I was like, I love you, but like, I held you accountable. Cause I was like, I know I'm going to leave here and she's just going to like, not do any of the things I just said. So I, I like sent, you know, these people, your information I was like, I need you to reach out to her. I need you to set it up. Like I wasn't taking no for an answer. I was like, listen, <laughs> like these people are coming to your house and are going to help you. Um, and <laughs> You know, I, but, but you know what, that's the thing about, and I don't know, would you say you kind of had post postpartum depression or. Yeah, I definitely had PPD and I would, I mean, I had, I had anxiety anyway, so I right. knew I was going to have postpartum anxiety with the baby, but like driving and stuff like that. I mean, right. those are common, those are common things, but the depression kind of was becoming like, it was affecting my life. Obviously mm -hmm. everyone knows that if you start to feel like something's affecting your life, then you need to, you need to kind of look into methods to helping you. So, yeah. um, I was just crying all the time and wanting to just sleep all the time and, um, felt like the world was ending, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and, so, and you know, yeah. when I saw you and I told you these things, I was like, Hey, we should get somebody over here to help you. We should get a therapist. I know that when you have postpartum depression, um, it seems impossible to do those things. And my like biggest thing with you was like, I didn't want you to feel like, okay, now I have to call these people and set it up and interview them and blah, blah, blah. Like, and this is a great part about having a doula, like even postpartum, I was not your postpartum doula. I'm only a birth doula. I don't do postpartum, but I stick with my birth clients forever. Um, so I was like, I'm going to set all this up. I'm going to send these people to your house. Jason's going to pay them. Like we're going to make it effortless for you because when you are, ha when you have postpartum depression, it feels so impossible to even set up these things, to talk to these people, to schedule them. Everything just takes your energy out and feels like so overwhelming. So that's what I, I wanted for you. I didn't want you to feel like you had to do any of those things, but I'm so proud that to this day, like you've stuck with it. I know Taylor left you, but you found somebody else who's came in, which I know was so hard for you to trust somebody else. Um, and you've just made such big strides to really fill your, fill yourself up so you can pour out and be even a better mom to Bo. You really have. Thank you so much. And honestly, like, I can't thank you enough. I try and tell you, and I I'll never be able to thank you enough for what you've done for me. And so you're so right. It's true. Like having just having someone to set up those resources for you is literally like the mountain that you have to climb before making those decisions. And, um, yeah, I definitely was like, not ready to do it at that time. But I said to myself, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it because I have to do it for Bo. I mean, he was my primary like reason for doing it, but now right. I'm glad that I did it. I'm glad that I did it for me too, because mm -hmm. I'm starting to feel better as well. So, but thank you. I love you. <laughs> I love you. Of course. You're so welcome. Um, okay. Well, I, we've probably already covered yeah. a little bit of it, but tell me your like top pieces of advice. Um, yeah. Even if you've already mentioned them. <laughs> Absolutely. So number one is be your own advocate. 
ask questions and yes. don't just allow things to happen to you. And it's your body. Obstetrics is often driven by like financial, legal, scheduling concerns, and that doesn't always prioritize mom. So you have to be the person to say no or or to ask the question or to um, consider other alternatives or ask what the other alternatives are. So what I use was, you've heard of it, I'm sure, the brain method. Um, So it's benefits, risks, alternatives, intuition, and nothing. So what are the benefits of the intervention? What are the risks? What are the alternatives? What else can I do? Um, instead of this, um, what is my intuition telling me, which mom's intuition is the best thing. And then nothing, do nothing. You know, the best thing sometimes is to do nothing. So that like in my brain helped in my brain helped (laughs) me kind helped me throughout my pregnancy and, and delivery to kind of like ask those important questions and then make the decision, um, the, the informed decision. Um, thank you. So I think if you don't do that, then you know, this is what providers always say. They always say, well, we just want a healthy mom and a healthy baby. Um, and I feel like that's true, but that can also be a little toxic because of course you want yourself and your baby to be healthy, but you also want to feel in control of your body and in control of your baby's, you know, future. So that matters. And I think that people can find like that they go go through trauma if they don't, you know, have, have the, um, like if they don't be their own advocate and if you don't have help to be your own advocate, so get a doula, have a birth partner that's supportive. Um, that's just, I think that's like number one, number two, um, would be educate yourself about childbirth and postpartum and hire a doula. Obviously you need to have someone else besides yourself at there with you as your birth partner. Um, and someone also too, that can help you manage like the medical side of it and the hospital side, like it's just so nice to have someone there that can, can worry about that for you. And you and your birth partner can kind of focus on the baby and focus yeah. on you. So I love that. And then um, number three is accept help from people you trust. Um, you don't have to do it all on your own. And this is coming from someone who loves to do it all on her own. Yes. Um, yeah. So looking back, I should have accepted help and um, taken the personal time that I needed away from my baby to help me um, be a better mom. So anyway, I hope, I hope those things <laughs> help and make sense. Yes. But. No, that all <laughs> made so much sense that that's yeah. amazing. I think that that like perfectly literally summarizes those three points, summarize the journey you took as, as a person and as a mom throughout your pregnancy and your birth and how it's just transformed you, your way of thinking your life. Um, and I love I know that you hated the slogan, healthy mom, healthy baby. Um, And I used to say it as a nurse too, so I'm guilty, but you would love, (laughs) have you heard of the birthing instincts podcast? No. Okay. So listen to it. It's by this doctor, Dr. Stu Fishbein, and he is an obstetrician in like the California area who um, basically just bashes mainstream medicine. I hate to say it, but he's an OB um, and knows what he's talking about. And he says all the time, you know, they don't care about the journey you take to get there. And it's true. And he says that journey matters how you get at the end of the day, like a baby in the bassinet's not all that matters. Yeah, it matters. Of course, you want a healthy mom and baby, but the journey that people take to get their birth trauma can stick with somebody for years. It can have effects down like family generations. And, you know, so the, the avenue you take to get to healthy mom, healthy baby, it really, really matters. And when they say that they're basically saying it doesn't matter. Um, you would just love his podcast. It is like, 
it makes you really think, I mean, he just, he questions things and he asks, Hey, why do we do these practices and what, and you're like, wow, wait, like, why do we do these things? Um, you would, it would be right up your alley. I highly recommend it, but I definitely will listen. And I hope that he's like inspiring OBs that are coming up in training to have that method. Yeah. Because things have to change. I feel like, like, you know, everyone wants to, not everyone, but a lot of people want to um, go with a midwife now or have like a home birth or have like an alternative type of birth because, you know, these, the, the hospital system is, is tough right now. I mean, obviously there's staffing issues and things like that. And there's not a lot of, um, consistency, but, um, I don't know. I just think that something has to change in obstetrics. I'm not sure what it has to be. I'm not the person to really talk on this, but it'll be interesting to see what the next like 10 to 20 years of of obstetrics is like, especially with these empowered moms that are being their own advocates. Yeah. I think, I think a lot has to change. Um, I think that women are going to kind of stop birthing in a hospital setting, which I, I also think is unfortunate because I also think like like if you want an epidural, you should have access to an epidural, but not be then subjected to a hundred interventions and inhumane care. Um, same thing with C-sections, you know, you might have to have a C-section for who knows what medical reason. Um, and you know, a big thing I've been getting questioned on lately is like breach is commonly one in the medical field, but is that really a reason always for a cesarean, but it's a side note. Um, Either way, even if you're going to have a a cesarean birth for something that is very like necessary, it doesn't mean that that birth should all of a sudden be inhumane and, you know, no skin to skin, no nursing. Like there's just so much that, um, I think could change, but hopefully this is the start. Um, hopefully we can only go uphill from here. (laughs) Yes. I'm, I'm feeling good about it. I think that it's going to be, it's going to be great, especially with, um, education and again, being your own advocate and, um, really just making sure that you're doing the best thing for yourself and your journey. So, and, uh, hopefully midwifery care just keeps taking over. (laughs) Yes. Which is the direction I'm going to go for my next baby. So I'm excited about that. (laughs) Yes. Well, Nicole, thank you so much for just sharing your time, sharing your story. I've been waiting to get you on the podcast. So I'm so glad that we finally aligned our schedules and we're able to do it. Me too. Thank you so much, Jen. And I love you and you're the best. Hire a doula. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.